The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Hello, and welcome to The Process. Today we speak with Stephen Lilly and Michael Boyd. I've known Stephen for many years. Uh, I was a colleague of his. I still consider him a colleague. And we used to teach uh, recording courses together and uh, used to both live in the D.C. area. And some of the music or one of the pieces they're going to be talking about today is a Friday, May 18th, uh, which was originally written uh, by Stephen and, and Michael in D.C. while they were there uh, as part of a, a festival that was happening there. And so you'll hear them talk a little bit today about this piece. And uh, in a second here, we'll listen uh, to an excerpt uh, from the piece. Um, and you might be a little confused. You might say, hey, where's the violin and the piano? And where, <laughs> you know, where is, uh, where are the musical instruments, right? You'll hear people talking and you'll hear what sounds like a Zoom conversation from hell. In a way, that's what Friday, May 18th, at a distance is. It's a piece that looks at performers and musical performance in a very different way than perhaps what's traditional. And this is not something that just, you know, happened last week or 10 years ago when they wrote the piece. This is something that's been going on since the middle of the definitely 20th century and on into today, a type of performance art music. But even that, uh, referring to it as performance art, can sometimes seem a bit dismissive. And the point of my monologue today is not to defend what they do or condemn it or say it's strange or unusual or really make any sort of value judgment about it, but instead talk about sort of the output of it or the outcome of doing a type of piece where uh, it could be people talking, it could be direction-based. I mean, there could be traditional musicians involved, but you're having them, instead of play their instrument, do something else, uh, make some popcorn in a microwave. Anyways, my point is not to defend it, condone it, uh, dismiss it, or, or really do any sort of value judgment about it, but rather think about the outcome of it. And, you know, one of the things Stephen and Mike talked about is that sometimes these directions are not just for traditional mus musicians or even for the creators themselves, but for the audience. 
And that got me thinking about audience engagement. And I think which is part of this type of performance music or action-based music is that you can involve the audience, if you choose to or not, in the actual performance. And you're like, well, this is just some, <laughs> this is just some graduate school ridiculousness, right? Well, you know, what do we see in music today? You know, I, I think over, especially in popular music and even in uh, traditional classical music or new music, we see this idea of a passive audience, of an audience that sits and listens quietly and claps at the appropriate times. Don't be that, don't be that guy to, to clap at the wrong time or between movements. Don't do it. Sit quietly and enjoy the genius. So that seems pretty old-fashioned, especially when we look into popular music and the way the, those forms of music are presented and, and uh, marketed and brought into the world. And that makes me ask the question, why should experimental music or new music be any different? It only makes sense that action-based music or music that involves or engages the audience is important. And it just really got me thinking about how passive music has been really for since ever. And since ever means since I was born, right? <laughs> I, I know there was, we could go way back and how participatory music used to be in the 1800s or uh, during uh, cave person times. But uh, I wasn't around then. So since I've been alive, music has always been a very passive thing. And I think any music that decides to or thinks about perhaps engaging the audience and not just to like buy the product, you know, sell the product uh, from a capitalistic sort of point of view, but just from the point of view of interaction and engagement. So on today's episode, as I mentioned, we'll be listening to Friday, May 18th at a distance. And if you get a chance to Google it and look it up, there's actually a video version of this where you see uh, the different performers in their respective Zoom screens. And it just adds a whole other layer of sort of absurdity, uh, comedy, uh, and also this bizarro sort of reflection on society, reflection on the hierarchy that we're used to. Um, and also engages, I think, in a very different way than sort of a traditional experimental piece. So without further ado, let's take a listen to Friday, May 18th. I'm here to talk to you about vocal health today. No, you're not. You might be. I am. No, I I'm telling you, you are not. I am. I'm here to tell you about the vocal instrument, about what it can do, both Sound for you artist. and for your students. Uh, At the end, maybe I'll no give you some resources, and then there'll be a chance for all of us to talk about any concerns, uh, news, and other I questions. I really don't want to talk about this. So Audio what can you do with your voice? Evidently, you can no, laugh, you can cough, you can mumble, oh, you can mutter, can very, you can produce uh, other types of utterances. <laughs> Uh, that was very good use of the voice. I couldn't have timed this move. The better. vocal instrument. That's Can not you? a real word. Volition? I must have made a typo there. Canoe? I had to stop. Generator? Canoe? self I'm so excited. We had Canoe's edible takeout food scene. yesterday. Canoe? Uh, the place is amazing. Canoe? Or as an articulator. Squirt? What can you do LaCroix. now? God, you can ah, breathe. 
Greece. Only in 2020 have you expressed a little concern here if you're not breathing. Clorox. Good breathing. You guys are doing so well with this. Originally from the Pacific Northwest, Stephen Lilly is a composer, performer, audio engineer, poet, and sound artist. Stephen has degrees from the University of Idaho and the University of Maryland. He also spent a year studying electroacoustic music at the Institute of Sonology in The Hague. Stephen used to teach, but now lives in Minneapolis where he composes and performs. Michael Boyd is a composer, scholar, and experimental improviser who holds graduate degrees from the University of Maryland and SUNY Stony Brook. His music has been performed throughout the United States and abroad. He currently is an associate professor of music at Chatham University. On today's episode, we listen to Friday, May 18th, At a Distance, performed by both Mike and Stephen, as well as featuring Benjamin Levy, Stacey Mastrian, and Christian Twombly. If there's a problem, just don't panic. It'll be okay, I promise. And here's some resources. Hi. Yachts. It's still Here's yachts. a great post I hate of links. Yachts. An administrator that wears brown I mean, shoes is a confident I'm not administrator. Basically, I'm not sure what's going on. There's just tissues in here. Like, I lived in there's been a lot of crying. Like, a lot of crying recently. Two years. Yeah, there's just... I don't remember any of it. I was born. Otherwise, it's just crying. Oh, and there's like... Yeah, a box label from the move that's still... Infant, toddler. I mean, yeah. That's all. That's not super gross trash, but I mean... And then I moved to Eastern Washington. Probably should empty it like sometime. I almost want to say I almost like to problematize things. So I like to try to find a problem or a puzzle that can be solved or kind of figured out. You know, often we talk about like deadlines or commissions and other things, but a problem. Um, Mike, would you say the creative process starts for you with with a, a problem or um, well, is it more traditional? Is it deadlines and commissions or? It's usually like some kind of like concept driving a piece. Uh, and yeah. I, I think that that's probably active for Stephen as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I, I've been very interested in uh, the notion of interaction either between performers or uh, between a performer and their instrument or the performer in a space. Uh, so that, that ends up being a driving force for me. Um, I often spend a very long, long, long time on the kind of like what people think of as the background for the piece. Sure. Uh, I, Roger, Roger Reynolds calls it the impetus. Um, so that, mm-hmm. that occupies a pretty, pretty long stretch for me. I also sometimes work exhaustively. So I do a lot of uh, graphic and text-based uh, stuff. Steven does as well. Uh, w- when I'm doing that, sometimes... Uh, well, for, for one piece, I went through and uh, found every verb in a pocket dictionary and wrote down the interesting ones and then mm-hmm. narrowed them down to 12 from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's uh, that aspect of just, I think, selection mm-hmm. um, amidst uh, an array of choices. Um, and then and how I, did those verbs, how did those verbs then manifest into a piece? Uh, so they end up becoming part of what the performer interprets. Uh, part of the performance materials. Uh, Stevens performed a couple of those pieces, mm-hmm. at least a couple of those pieces. Um, so yeah, it's usually a concept, uh, often like leaning in the interaction way. I I think of my music as having a 
like social or political aspect to it, but not an obvious one. Uh, so it's it's more about like subverting conventions, uh, inviting uh, perhaps untrained performers into the mix. Uh, so breaking down hierarchies in various ways, uh, but but not not in a like explicit. Uh, here's a text that's sort of like conveying a specific message, but more in the uh, attempting to rethink or re refashion things. So what are some of the challenges that you have when you are writing and you're in the creative process and you're writing for an indeterminate maybe number of musicians or types of instruments? What are the what are the biggest things that you struggle with when you're when you're in the creative process? The the hardest part is the the evaluation. So mm. you get like this strike of inspiration, right? And you, you know, I jot down in a notebook, um, kind of sketch out the piece, uh, where that can look in graphic. It can, it's usually textual though, like written out kind of prose or poetry. Sure. And then, um, then that next step of is, is this actually, you know, a brain fart or a real piece? Right. <laughs> right. Is it worth right. exploring? And then how yeah. much time do I devote to it or should I just abandon it? And it, it's hard mm -hmm. to know. Um, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, open up pro tools and start recording things for a piece and, you know, I'll get like three hours in and like, like oh, this is not, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> this is, this is, yeah. this is yeah. awful. Not yeah. what I expected yeah. at all. You know, I've had other pieces, they get almost to the rehearsal stage and you're like, I don't know if I should have written this. <laughs> and, and so it's like that, Ava, is this a good piece yeah. or not? And it, it's really yeah. hard to tell, uh, yeah, when when is best to evaluate that, especially with something that's kind of experimental, right? Uh, and there are pieces like I have like churned over for years, and mm -hmm. some of them have turned out good. Some of them are now palatable. Some of them really should be just put on the scrap heap. But that for me is the hardest. Is like, is this a keeper or should we throw it back? I was saying it's a similar part of the phase for me where it's like you get the idea, um, uh, you you maybe get some initial sketches. Mm -hmm. um, actually finishing the thing, like once it's like in motion mm -hmm. and it's being put together is relatively easy. It, it's like that, mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, like what, how are the details flushed out that sort of um, right. cap capture, uh, yeah. like the, the basic idea and, uh, it, like if we're also reinventing notation every time, mm -hmm. uh, li like what, what's going to be like functional in a performance setting. Right. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it's like, it's like that middle, uh, between the kind of like the starting point and then the actual, like, just like nuts and bolts work, which, uh, once the idea is flushed out is relatively easy, although sometimes time intensive. So you have this idea you've come up with, sometimes each piece has its own language. It's a new language or a new way to get somebody to perform. Mm -hmm. So when do the, I'll say musicians, but I'll also just say what, like, at what point do you bring the performers? into the creative process? For me, it's often late in the game. Uh, so I, well, Steven and I used to collaborate like in, in person frequently when we lived near each other. And yeah. when we had some other collaborators that lived nearby as well, uh, yeah. we're geographically dispersed at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, so unless I'm writing something specific for a particular performer or ensemble, which is a rarity, um, I, I'm often finishing the piece, uh, sending it out most often to like kind of like cold call for scores uh, and, then, and then kind of working through with a performer that'll bite on it and usually a performer that will bite on our music is like yeah. at least sympathetic to our aesthetic leaning right um 
so yeah, it's often kind of getting all the all the way to that point before someone comes in. So, Stephen, is that similar for you? It, uh, do you bring musicians in earlier, or is it towards towards the end? Uh, it depends on the piece. I tend to try to perform the piece as I'm writing it, and mm -hmm. very often um, I will end up creating the demo that tries to get the piece onto conferences or get other performers involved. So, in a sense, I'm kind of always switching hats between composer and performer. And that happens almost immediately. You get the concept, try it out. So like, you know, pop open Pro Tools, start singing. I mean, there's a lot of auto-tune, but still. <laughs> I end up, like, I have, like, reference recordings of pieces that are just me. Um, and in some cases, I, I like them better what, than what other performers do. Um, not often, but occasionally. Um, so I'll, you know, or I'll pull out the bass. Like there, sometimes it'll come from a improvisation and I'll just try to try to put that down into writing. And so it'll almost be like performer first and then composer second. So it, it, it changes. And what's interesting about Friday, May 18th, both of them is that I think in both cases, we knew that we were going to be the primary performers, at least for the right. first performance, if not follow-up performances. So I was aware of myself being a performer. However, in that piece, it's really hard to kind of do it and then edit. <laughs> it's more of like, right, right. It, that was much more of a, an imagination piece. And like Mike said, the, the actual performers came in late. I mean, knowing it was us was there from the beginning, but the actual kind of seeing how it works, that came at the end with my family. Not like alone, just with my family. So and I don't have any family members that sell cheese, pasteurized or My brother, but he I came along because I'm adopted and he's adopted. Um, are you really sure? We moved again. Like to Western Washington. No, 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 no. I think you have the sequence of that wrong. Like, I'm not sure the that place that's exactly what where happened. Twilight was filmed. Nope. Oh, ew, no. I thought you said that was like on the other side, like and west. Oh wait. Oh, maybe that's what you're talking about. But I thought you grew up in the east. Like, I'm really. I don't. I don't. I don't get. Eastern I mean, Washington. Twilight like actually sucks. Oh, oh, no. Back, but to wine what? country. What? Wine country. What? Ugh, wine is just so stupid. Like, it's a waste of freaking time. Well, I mean, I was like six. I didn't drink wine. Uh, so it, it's a group of us that were at the University of Maryland as graduate students together. Uh, a couple of us actually, like, trace back to undergraduate times there. Uh, so it's Stephen and I, Christian Twombly, uh, composer, uh, uh, Ben Levy, uh, music theorist, uh, primarily, and Stacey Masterians, a, a singer. And she's the, she's the one that has the sort of like evident training perhaps in the performance. <laughs> uh, and then the five of us like work together with a couple others uh, back in the like early to mid 2000s yeah. uh, at the University of Maryland. And so this performance that we're seeing, uh, we can check it out on YouTube. Uh, we're also hearing a little bit of it on the podcast today. Um, this was done on Zoom. There were a couple of calls for scores coming out, sure. Because of, because of the pandemic, for things that could be right. done like right. in different right. modalities, yeah. and and so um, I can't remember who got it started, but one of us said to the other, 
hey, we should revive this piece, but then make it for Zoom. And, yeah. and I, I, think, I think the idea hit like immediately to both of us that this was like a very uh, feasible thing to do and also a way to really keep the spirit of the piece alive mm -hmm. in, in a new way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I would think performing this live at a venue, it has a very different feel than now when seeing you in little boxes on the Zoom screen. Uh, I think just seeing this, it was kind of therapeutic and also traumatizing to do because <laughs> it was, though this was a, a piece of music, uh, it felt very much like the unproductive meetings that we've, <laughs> we've all sat through. One specific question I wanted to ask, there were moments when everyone was, or few, uh, a few people were together. They were communicating directly to one another. And and so there was this nice interplay throughout the piece where sometimes people were directly communicating to each other and then they'd sort of drift away. The, the score mm -hmm. basically consists of a, a series of instructions. We basically took the, the cards that we had passed out to the audience in Friday, May 18th, and made that a new piece, revising the existing cards, but also adding new ones. And so now it's just a list, I think three, four pages of instructions. And the for me, the instructions kind of break down into three parts. It's like, how does this instruction begin? What's the meat of it? And then what is your cue to end? Mm -hmm. And some instructions are just completely inward focusing. You know, talk on your, talk, I can't remember what the exact instruction is, but it's like, I think talk about something personal to your hand for five minutes. And so that's what I did. And so you hear me just rambling for five minutes about mm -hmm. absolute kind of nonsense, but it's all like growing up somewhere yeah. in wine country, but you were too young to drink wine. Yeah. It, it, you talk about your childhood to your hand for five <laughs> minutes. That's what it is. Yeah. So it's absolutely, and it's, I loved it. Um, it's, but it's, at one point, Stacy did respond directly to why are you drinking wine? And you're like, well, I was only six. And, but then it wasn't related. Yeah. 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 And, but other cards are completely outward facing. It's like, I see. listen to someone else and completely disagree with everything they say. Right. Yes. Yeah. Or try to, and then the ending cue is sometimes you're doing something like saying canoe until mm -hmm. someone else echoes you. I think that's really all it is. And so okay. there's, I think, even another instruction, it's like find someone who's waiting for their ending cue and give it to them. Right. And then, Which is like somebody's like canoe, canoe like in a meeting, you're like, yeah. confirm what I'm saying, confirm what I'm saying. Yeah. And somebody confirms it and then you move on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, it's like a series of like inward and outward facing or pointing uh, cards. Yeah. So some are kind of networking with other people. Other ones are just like, you know, like, like you see in Zoom meetings, I'm just going to yeah. monologue here for five yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you might I as love well check the way email. I look. I love the way I look in this box. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, some, of, some of them just the, the points of like interaction just sort of emerged organically. Like yeah. uh, responding was sort of within the realm of what, what's the, yeah. what someone was doing for a particular gesture. And then, so it just kind of pops out. Right. Mm -hmm. Because then I, need, I even noticed then, too, um, some people were responding with text. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, some people were, so canoe was being said, and then raft. And then, you know, so there was kind of, uh, and then yacht. So there, there was this, like, kind of, uh, you know, this uh, uh, reference that was happening. I even noticed, Mike, at one point, you just picked up the bass, and we didn't hear you playing the bass. And you, but you, you were obviously not focused on what else was going going on as it would appear you know obviously you're mm -hmm. so what was that about were there instructions to pick up other physical things and yeah and... I, I think that was like pick up an instrument and 
play it for a little while and then sort of like mm-hmm. nod like you had just like rocked out or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I didn't happen to have the bass plugged in. So the microphone, mm-hmm. I, I don't think picked very much of it up given that we, I was also running an iPod through my stereo system, yeah. uh, play, playing random electronic sounds and other things. So, uh, uh, you know, if I picked up the acoustic guitar or my trombone, you probably would have heard it, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that's interesting. You mentioned the 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 other sounds that were happening. So I I, I was seeing performers. I was seeing uh, a speech, uh, and performances that way. But I was hearing other sounds. Uh, sometimes it sounded like electroacoustic mm-hmm. sounds. Sometimes mm-hmm. I wondered if it was just noise being generated. Uh, and I know there's a very fine line <laughs> between the two, right? I mean, um, but so how was that? Was that on a cue card to make an extra, uh, you know, a extra personal sound? So like from a boom box or from an iPod? Uh, so th- there's like a set of um, additional things that you can layer on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, the electroacoustic sounds layer is to take uh, electronic pieces, I believe by Steven and I. So mm-hmm. we, we, we would provide them to an ensemble that was performing this if they chose to. We and actually have a max patch for it. We, we do, yeah, Fantastic. and then just r- randomly play them. Uh, I, I, I have an iPod, I put them on shuffle. I think Steven had a max patch going on his end. There is so much laundry in my closet. I have to do so much laundry. News in Eastern Washington? I am sick and tired of laundry. I hate folding. I hate. I'm out of laundry. I I mean, I put everything in the laundry into one huge pile, stuff it full, run it, colors, white, mix it all together. Dry it all. I hate laundry. I, I hang up some stuff. I hate folding it. Oh, no, it's the worst. Was where? Um, the hibernate mushrooms are my favorite. And then we didn't move. It was first grade. And this is true. She kind of reminded me of those um, turtles in Super Mario Brothers. They eat mushrooms, don't they? Uh, I don't those turtles know. eat mushrooms. They are, they're always eating mushrooms. mushrooms. Anyway, of mushrooms are like then I continued to grow up. It's important that someone cares. I think that is what you have to kind of latch on to. Um, and someone does. You're saying so someone, when you're writing a piece of music, someone will or could potentially care about that. Yeah, I mean, I think I've gotten enough genuine feedback that there is an audience out there, not huge, um, that that genuinely gets something and or gets what I'm doing and, and gets excited about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you get the occasional performer or audience member who comes up to you afterwards like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like that. that was so amazing. And I think that's what you live for. I mean, I've, I've had situations where someone's come up to me 
said that, and then another composer just started laughing. <laughs> so it was like both at the same time. It's like, I care, I totally don't. <laughs> right. Well, going back to Cage, right, was it Fontana Mix, the performance, was it uh, the first performance of either Aria or Fontana Mix, one of those? Mm-hmm. And uh, he tells the story about half the audience cheered and the other half booed. And yeah. he like, okay, this piece works. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. he didn't see that as like half a loss or half a win. He was like, "This piece works." Like people are having a reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, there's the but part of me. I was I was thinking about this question earlier, and the uh, uh, Florence Foster Jenkins comes to mind. Yeah, right. Yep. It's like <laughs> what you know. How do you assess her output? Which you right. know, people still know who she is to this day. Absolutely. Uh, the, I just talked to Stephanie uh, Lampera and we were talking about, Yeah, <laughs> she came up. And it's like, it, it is, you know, mm-hmm. it, 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 people have a reaction to it and people have like, sir, you know, kept her memory alive, even though technically what she did was an abomination, but it, it's like she transcends that. And yeah. so it's, I think it's that thing. It's like the worst thing you could be is mediocre. And so right. it, it, as long as someone cares and someone's getting excited about it, I think that's 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 why I continue doing it. But yeah, I, I realize that a lot of people don't care. Uh, gentlemen, this has been uh, fantastic uh, talking to you today. Um, before I let you go, um, can you each share a little bit about how we can find out more about each of you and your music? Uh, so my, my website is michaelrboyd.com uh, and you can have like uh, virtually all of my scores are available for free uh, and then there are sort of like sound SoundCloud things embedded, YouTube things embedded. Uh, so that, that would be the best place to go. Fantastic. Yeah, my website is stephenlilly.net because I, yeah, GoDaddy is sitting on .com and I didn't want to pay them. So <laughs> I'm .net, I'm old school. Um, but yeah, same thing. All the scores are there. Uh, many recordings, videos, things like that. Thanks to Stephen and Mike for sharing their time and their music with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out other episodes in the series. And as always, like, subscribe, or leave a comment on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this has been The Process. <laughs> <laughs>